Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Econ Americas podcast, where each month we share under the radar investment opportunities from countries across the Americas, up from Canada down to Chile. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and find us on all the major podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Cats, Anchor, you name it. And in case you're a first-time listener to this show, Econ Americas is a startup research firm that provides financial and economic intelligence. You can learn more about us and our services at EconAmericas.com and on the major social media platforms. I am Daniel Duarte, editor at Econ Americas, and in this episode, we'll be discussing the very interesting subject of tax competition and estate planning with Martin Didwak. He is a lawyer, an expert in wealth structuring, fund structuring, and wealth tech. We'll get to know what that is. Martin works with high net worth families and companies. He's also a speaker and author. He's written several articles and specialized publications in Latin America, the UK, and the US. And his latest book, latest book is Tax Havens and Tax Hells, an alternative look at offshore jurisdictions and tax competitions. Martin, thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for uh, the invitation. Great. So, Martin, you basically help families and high net worth individuals escape what you call our tax sales, right? Yeah, pretty much that is what we do in our firm, yes. So, are we talking about Latin American countries uh, specifically or other countries as well? Well, the majority of our clients are based in, in Latin America. We have some European clients too, but the, the the problem of the tax health uh, really is not just about taxes. It's about taxes and about uh, lack of rule of law. So some countries in Europe that have high taxation, at least they have you know rule of law, which gives them certainty. So most of the people, most of the families who really want to you know plan their wealth to make sure that there will be no uh, victims of confiscation, devaluation, and things like that are. Uh, coming from Latin America, especially in the current days when we have uh, growth, we, we're seeing a growth uh, from populist uh, governments and increases in taxation all over the, the region. Right. So you're in the business of getting people or wealth out of Latin America. And we here at Econ Americas are trying to bring wealth into Latin America. But uh, what would you say are some countries that are more business friendly or more amenable for investments in your view? Well, I mean, there are many clients, many clients, many countries in, in the region that, that do have a, a big uh, portion of, of foreign direct investment. Uh, there are countries that have grown over the years. Uh, Peru, for example, that now is uh, having some trouble from a political perspective, Colombia, Uruguay, Paraguay, most of the countries in, in Central America, like you know, Dominican Republic, Panama, uh, are countries that have, have received uh, foreign investment. The issue here is when you advise uh, clients in the region, they are looking to essentially protect their assets, uh, mainly those that are already out of, the, of their country. So they want to uh, maybe create a trust, maybe create a company, make sure that they get the most out of, uh, of their investment. When you advise clients bringing money to the, to the region, uh, they have to understand if they come from the US or from Europe that uh, dealing in Latin America is different and that they might face uh, a greater degree of uh, political instability 
lack of uh, rule of law and, and higher taxes. So when you actually invest in the region, you do need to protect your investment to make sure that, again, you will not be a victim of a confiscation, for example, um, when you uh, plan uh, in, uh, plan to invest money uh, in these countries, it is a good idea or a good practice to have a holding company formed in a country that has a treaty to protect foreign investment with the country where you're going to invest. So that's kind of a basic advice. And you have to be, in some countries like, for example, Argentina, you have to learn about inflation, which is something that has disappeared from the whole world, or at least before the pandemic. Uh, and a lot of people don't understand it. So, you know, we, uh, the people that come from Argentina, are very familiar with this, but not necessarily a Canadian or, or somebody in France or Germany will understand what, what is uh, a balance sheet that needs to be adjusted by inflation or what is really... Uh, 150% devaluation per annum and things like that, that are normal and don't uh, some, somehow uh, don't impede clients in the region make, uh, doing business. But for people who come from abroad, it's not that easy to understand. Right. And I guess that except Venezuela, Argentina and countries uh, that are very, no, are on the extreme side of things regarding taxation and confiscation, most of Latin America has moved away from that pink tide that a couple of years ago was very into um, high taxation and um, placing a lot of barriers on entrepreneurship, basically. But now we're seeing a kind of resurgence of this trend that is, for instance, trying to tax wealth to fund COVID-19 measures. So which countries are you seeing most interest um, of people trying to get out of in the region? Well, at the moment, and again, as you mentioned before, and, 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 and you, you were quite right, people, for example, from Venezuela have already left the country, and people from Argentina are in the, in the process of leaving. A lot of people have left over the last two or three years, and more people will continue. Um, what, what, we've, what we've seen so far is that, you know, when you have a, a country that is increasing taxes and decreasing rule of law, the first thing you see is people sending the money out. Uh, before they leave. So uh, now, for example, you see a lot of people from Chile after the, the last um, elections, the elections that um, um, elected people to amend the constitution. A lot of people from Chile are now sending the money abroad or establishing structures, foreign structures to protect their money. And the events in um, Bolivia and Peru also uh, cause for people to start structuring their money or their wealth abroad. So my, my take on this is that in the next few years, we'll see a lot of movement from, from those three countries, Chile, Bolivia and, and Peru. And we have to follow closely what's going to happen in Colombia, because after the if, if Castillo really wins in Peru, which is at this time almost sure, um, then Colombia will be basically in the middle of Venezuela and Peru. Uh, they have suffered a lot of uh, public demonstrations with the last tax reform. And, you know, my fear is that maybe next year when they have presidential election, maybe the left will win there, which is going to be very problematic because uh, Colombia has been a long time ally of the U.S. in, in Latin America. is the country most visited by U.S. presidents, the country with the most uh, U.S. Uh, base, um, military bases. So it's going to be very, very difficult to swallow if Colombia uh, flips and goes to the populism. That, that's something that we need to really pay attention to next year. 
And have some of these countries uh, started to catch up what these high net worth individuals are doing? I mean, trying to take the money out of the country by imposing capital controls or some sort of regulations? Generally, traditionally in Latin America, there were only three countries that had taxed wealth. One was Argentina, the other one was Uruguay, and the third one was Colombia. Last year in December, Bolivia has approved a wealth tax. Argentina has approved a second one. Argentina, uh, at the end of December last year, has became the only country in the world that taxes wealth twice. Uh, two different taxes on wealth. And then there were projects, uh, you know, draft legislation in Peru, uh, Mexico, and Chile. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of those countries do approve uh, taxation on wealth. The other thing we are seeing is countries that uh, have based their tax system on the you know, territorial income uh, moving towards a, a worldwide income. That's something, that's another trend that we can see. Generally speaking, the last 40 years have been have been years with reduction of taxes. I'm talking about worldwide. I'm not talking about Argentina in particular now. But, you know, since since the time of, of uh, Thatcher and, and Reagan, a race to the bottom started uh, and uh, the world was never uh, less taxed than now. And apparently now there they have been a change uh, with the election of Biden, with the pandemic, with the G7 now claiming for a worldwide income tax on corporations. I think that we are starting a new phase with high taxation, essentially. So we have to pay attention to that because it's, a, it's something that will last for a few decades. It's not something that will go away tomorrow. Five years have passed since Colombia joined the 20 plus countries that have legalized the production and commerce of medical cannabis. Colombia has everything to succeed in the business. A pioneer legal framework, a privileged location with excellent weather and experience in exporting commodities. However, Colombia has been unable to exploit its full potential to become a key player in the global medical cannabis industry. In 2016, Colombia passed a law expanding the cultivation, transformation, import, export and scientific research of medical cannabis. In 2017, hundreds of entrepreneurs began applying for licenses to grow cannabis and to transform it into derivatives such as oils, fabrics, dietary supplements, pet food, and skin products. However, Colombia allows companies to export derivatives and finished products only, not raw material, the flowers, which are the most lucrative slice of the business. Both Colombians and foreigners with valid visa can apply for government licenses to grow marijuana for medicinal and research purposes and to manufacture derivatives. The latter, however, requires incorporating a local company. The licenses usually requires proof of income, description of equipment, types of seeds, cultivation plan, real estate registry of the cultivation land, and documentation for scientific research projects. There are four types of licenses and two government entities oversee the application process. Licenses are valid for five years and cannot be transferred. Fees can be paid in annual installments. The Colombian Justice Ministry has estimated medical cannabis can add up to 0.5% to the country's GDP and spur thousands of jobs. According to a study from Rosario University, 
the industry can grow to $1 billion in the short term and to $4.3 billion in the long term. In addition, Colombia has the potential to become a medical tourism destination. However, in 2020, Colombian cannabis exports amounted to just $5 million, largely to the United States. Although this figure meant a 1,600% growth compared with 2019, it still falls short of optimistic projections. Colombia needs a more flexible and efficient legal framework that allows serving the domestic and the international market. Major bottlenecks are excessive delays in obtaining permits, crop quotas, and the current ban on exports of cannabis flowers for commercial purposes. Another roadblock is credit and finance. Due to the ongoing stigma regarding cannabis in Colombia, private banks re often refuse to deal with cannabis business. Furthermore, unlike most US states in Canada, Colombia only allows the medical prescription of pharmaceuticals, not the flower. This severely limits the domestic market. The legalization of recreational cannabis, which is still illegal, seems distant. Congressman Juan Fernando Reyes from the Liberal Party has vowed to fight for full legalization in 2021, but similar bills have failed to pass Congress in recent years. To learn more about the cannabis industry in Colombia, make sure to check out our show notes where we have included a backgrounder on the topic by Econ Americas. Exactly, and I was going to ask you about that. What does this push by the, UN, the US and the G7 countries for a minimum corporate global tax mean for Latin America? Can our countries resist in any way or is, is this going to put us at a competitive advantage or not? I think once the, the G7 and the G20, I, I do expect some uh, decision from C20 next month. In July, they, there's, there's a meeting of the Minister of Finance of the G20 in, in Venice, Italy. I would expect for them to uh, ratify what the G7 has already said. And then it will be for the OECD essentially to create the guidelines. They are always the bad guys here, the ones creating the, the regulations. So I think that probably for one more year, nothing will happen. But uh, sometime in 2022, we'll probably see some regulation about this. And I don't think uh, the, that countries that have no power in the, in the world, essentially, no weight, uh, could say anything. Now, the truth is that in Latin America, the only three countries that really uh, could be affected by this, negatively affected, are Panama, Paraguay, and Uruguay. All the others have a, a higher corporate tax, if uh, a higher tax than this minimum of 15%. So I don't expect this will affect, in particular, Latin America, uh, country-wise. But I, I do expect that they might lead to further inflation because they, uh, at one point, if, if you raise the tax on, let's say, uh, Spotify or Google or Facebook, they will raise their fees. And the ones paying the fees are the individuals. So governments can decide who enters the tax to a tax authority. They cannot decide who is going to be paying for the tax in reality. Yes. And uh, as you mentioned, and we have written about Panama being put on the gray list of the OECD and the 
and, and the FATF because they have not complied with some of the requirements of, of these organizations. And also because there is, of course, a, a push for people, uh, for countries and governments to uh, share information with the, the tax authorities of, of, of the high tax rate countries. And it's, it's a way to, to get people in line. And uh, also, like you said, in my country, Paraguay, we, ha we have moved from a territorial based to a non-territorial income base. And also digital services are starting to be taxed. So every month now people are getting a 10% tax um, on their uh, credit card statements. So this is going to lead to, to higher high cost services as well. So this is a trend that is going to you know, keep happening and, and somehow countries are going to have to adjust to that. But is there a way around this? Uh, for instance, how can um, families and, and, and individuals protect their wealth through some sort of investment or um, wealth planning strategy? I think, you know, one thing is to protect what you have. Uh, you know, if you have savings, you have, you know, real estate in foreign countries, if you have investments in, in companies, then all that can be structured um, according to your, really, your needs and your objectives. If you are worried about succession planning, there are some structures you could do. If you are worried about taxation, there are other ones. But I think that to really fight back these uh, tax increases is more of a social uh, thing we need we need for people to understand that you know these tax uh, reforms are not good because they're taxing the wealthy uh, because again the people who really uh, depend on the growth of the economy are the poor people the rich people are done they don't need the growth of the economy so it's it's really something very very uh, stupid to really uh, favor tax increases because I think that. Uh, the rich should pay more, but at the same time, I don't realize that they will pay more, but they will they will raise my fees, and I don't have anybody to to transfer those costs. They have the possibility to transfer the cost to me, and I, as a consumer, don't have that luxury. So people need to understand that tax competition, offshore centers, you know, fighting for reduction in the taxes actually benefits everybody and benefits more the poor people and the rich people. So it's about it's it's a cultural battle, really. And again, this is, I mean, rich families can structure their wealth and there are many ways to do it. Poor people don't have any wealth to be structured. And if they don't fight high taxation, they will never have a wealth to be structured. Right. And maybe, I don't know, you'll tell me if cryptocurrencies are some sort of game changer <coughs> in this respect, because now everyone, I mean, almost everyone can um, buy cryptocurrencies in Latin America. Latin America, a lot of them are doing in Argentina. They are getting paid in cryptocurrency to avoid the forced exchange rate that the government imposes on USD uh, transactions. Do you see this uh, as a way around it or it is still not mature? Yeah, I think in the short term, it is a way around regulation. Uh, but, you know, at one point, all of this will be regulated. And actually, transactions in the blockchain are more transparent than transactions outside the blockchain. So the day that exchanges, you know, crypto exchanges will be forced to exchange information with governments, 
uh, it would be difficult to hide what you have been doing. So in the short term, yes, I think uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good strategy because there are more privacy and, uh, and because you can avoid certain restrictions. But I wouldn't uh, base all the structure, all the structuring of, of, of a client's wealth in using crypto. Okay, perfect. And what is this wealth tech that you mentioned? And how do you combine tech and wealth to protect uh, people's assets? Essentially, most of the most of the um, industries are being somehow, let's say, invaded by technology. So, uh, fintech is the use of technology in the financial industry. Prop tech, insurance tech, legal tech, tech tech. Wealth tech is essentially the use of technology in the wealth structuring or the wealth management. And um, uh, we have, uh, I, I have personally been involved in the creation of, uh, of software as a service to disrupt the trust industry. So we have a, a company which is called Smart Structuring and, uh, and that company has created a platform that will allow for trust to be stored and administered on, an, on a decentralized way. And that creates a lot of advantages both for trustees and for you know, settlers, families that are creating these structures. So this is now part of my day-to-day, -day, essentially. So I, I divide my day between Untitled and my, all my law clients, my legal clients, and, and creating structures. And then I have to manage this other company and make sure that we you know, uh, sell this uh, software service to trust companies, to banks, and make sure that they could, with technology, providing a better service to their clients, a more efficient service. Very interesting. So... Why don't you leave us with a final note on maybe a, a trend that you see that is going to impact how business is done in, in, in this hemisphere? And what do you see as very uh, important trends in the region? No, well, I think there are, there are two trends that have been, you know, impacting somehow the, the wealth structuring uh, industry. One is the, the tax voracity of the countries. That's something that the OECD started to push in 1998 with the first uh, blacklist of, of countries. Uh, after, a, let's say, a very um, slow uh, uh, commencement or, or start after the 9-11 terrorist attack, there was a momentum for them to impose their rules. Also with, with Trump, we, we've seen somehow a, a delay of this trend or even uh, some changes on the trend. But now with the pandemic and Biden and stuff, now we are seeing that this macro trend basically has restarted where it stopped four, four years ago. And now there's a clear trend uh, to, you know, towards um, higher taxation, as we discussed. And the second one, the second macro trend is the invasion to privacy. I mean, which is needed for the first one. So we are, we are seeing a, a world much more transparent, um, which is fine as long as the privacy rights of people are not affected, which is the case now. So I think that people need to understand the rights and stand up for their rights, essentially. And uh, we need to protect uh, people's privacy better. Uh, and we need to protect tax competition better as well. So a country cannot decide what other countries need to charge in terms of taxes. Exactly. Okay. Uh, Martin is on all major social media platforms. You can find him on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and, and, and on YouTube as well. Uh, maybe your Instagram and TikTok even, I don't know, but... <laughs> not, not TikTok, but Instagram. Not yet. <laughs> so his website is martinlitwak.com and his company is called Untitled. We're, ha we're going to have all these links in the show notes. So folks, make sure to go to 
econamericas.com slash podcast there you will get all the links plus uh, recommended articles and you can also check out the past episodes for more content like this thank you so much martin for joining us today thank you very much my pleasure